Hey there, Discerning ThoughtBot podcast listener. I just wanted to take a quick moment to ask for your feedback. There's so many cool things that we'd love to do with all the shows and want to know how you feel about our sponsor reads and the possibility of starting a Patreon-style campaign to make them all possible. If you could head over to tbot.io slash survey for a super short questionnaire, your input would be much appreciated. That link again is tbot.io slash survey. And hey, thanks. Giant robots smashing into other giant robots. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Giant Robots Smashing Into Other Giant Robots podcast. I'm Ben, and I'm here today with Nick Gothier. How's it going, Nick? Hi. Good. How are you? Good. Nick is joining us on the podcast because he's a friend of mine and because he is working on a product that's on the early stages. And I thought it would be awesome to let him co-host for a little while and hear about uh, kind of the opposite world of Drip. Uh, whereas Drip is super far along, Meatspace is very new. When did you start working on this? When did you first break ground on, on code? Um, March. Okay. So let me let me try to give the elevator pitch, and you can correct me uh, and tell me how I'm doing. So sure. uh, in my mind, Meatspace is like Google Hangouts, except it doesn't suck. <laughs> that actually was the tagline on our front page for a while. Uh-huh. Not specifically, but it was video conferencing that doesn't suck. Yeah. And I decided that I didn't want to be quite that bold and uh, maybe potentially rude right on my front page. So I, I would changed- maybe A-B test that. Because yeah, I know, right? I, know. I do a lot of random video conference things, talking to people. Uh, ThoughtBot is somewhat distributed as a company. Uh, I talk to customers of products that I'm working on. I'm on at least a handful a week. And my experience has been pretty negative. And everyone kind of goes, ah, Google Hangouts. And I've been saying for, honestly, months, like if I could find something that was good, I would pay for it because I'm so sick of this not being good. And I forget how we initially connected, but I signed up for a trial and really liked it. I've had really good results with it so far. The doesn't suck part that I would say is that it's just much more reliably solid. I haven't had dropped calls. I haven't had dropped audio. Uh, it seems like my, my perception is that you are prioritizing audio over video. So the video quality is not like beautiful HD, but the audio quality is really solid. And as a user, that's totally what I care about. Like if the video dropped out, you and I can still have a conversation. But if your audio starts clipping and falling away, like I can't communicate with you at all. Yeah, exactly. And the reason that we did all of that, um, and this is a really actually a pretty fun story from from the beginning of Meatspace, which is that I wasn't really sure uh, what I wanted to do like at the beginning of this year. And I was lying awake at night. You know, and I had this brilliant idea for this amazing video conferencing app where the app would control whose turn it was to talk and it would force people to take turns so that no one could commandeer Mm. a a meeting. And I had an alternate name. It was going to be called Edgewise because Mm -hmm. it was all about getting a word in Edgewise. And it was going to be all about meeting control and moderation. And I was like, okay, like this is really cool. I think this is going to help teams a lot. And I started to talk to people about it. And uh, one of my big influencers early on is uh, another Boston company, Price Intelligently. Mm -hmm. And uh, their CEO, Patrick, the first thing he said to me is, you need to validate all this stuff. And if you do that before you even start working, you can save yourself a lot of time. Mm -hmm. So I did surveys. They're called trade-off surveys, where you have a couple of different options. And you ask people to pick the most important thing and the least important thing. Mm -hmm. And you sort of score it based on that. So, you sort of ordered the options from most to least? No, that's a that's a max diff. Okay. But a trade-off is just a best and a worst. Okay. And it's a lot simpler. 
So it's just a little easier to do. It's it's gotcha. less taxing on the person who's being surveyed. And then you do some math on the back end to, to sort the choices across your yeah, customers. It's, it's really hard. You need a whole lot of spreadsheets. You get a point for everything that's best and a negative point for worst, and then you add them up. <laughs> that sounds so that's complicated. Liter- that's literally it. Has to be and, a, there needs to be a web app that does this for me. Yeah, right. <laughs> no, I did, I did it all in Google Forms. Super yeah. easy. And uh, what you get is this great graph where you have bars and some of the bars are positive when they're more bests than worsts Mm -hmm. and some of them are negative and some of them are in the middle. So something can be important if a lot of people think it's important and then a bunch of other people don't think it's really important or not. Mm -hmm. And something can be in the middle either because it's highly contentious or -hmm. because nobody cares, right? (laughs) Right. So there's a couple of different ways you can look at that data. But the story really is that I went out and I asked people what actually frustrates you about video conferencing? Hmm. And I did put something in there that was like taking turns speaking. That was my, okay, let's see if my idea is good. Mm-hmm. And I had a couple other things in there too. But it was it was extremely clear from asking people that what they really wanted was exactly what you just pitched me, hmm. uh, which is reliability, nobody dropping out, audio quality. Those were all really positive things. Mm-hmm. Taking turns was a slightly negative hmm. um, and a very strong negative was video quality. Hmm. So everybody said what you what you were saying, like, I, I don't care about the video. I need to be able to see somebody. I need to see if they're making a face, mm-hmm. you know, if they're happy, if they're agreeing, if they're nodding, if they're shaking their head. Otherwise, I don't care. I just need to hear them, mm-hmm. you know? And that's why people will fall back to a phone call is it's really all about the discussions. Mm-hmm. That's so wonderful to hear that that started from such an, at such an early phase. Like you, you ended up on a set of features that I really like and you didn't do it by accident. You uh, developed it. I feel like we're living a little bit in the renaissance of people talking to customers first to find out what to build. And I think the next like wave of products over the next five to 10 years are going to be so much better because this is, I, I feel like, becoming the accepted way of, of starting to build things. Yeah, absolutely. And, and honestly, it's like it literally feels like cheating. Mm-hmm. So I, I did the survey to figure out, okay, this is what people care about. I did a follow-up survey specifically about audio clarity and quality to break it down and, and talk exactly about which aspects of the audio were important, like uh, whether it was echoes, disconnects, the dreaded Hangouts robot voice, mm. or, uh, or or just you know general bit rate and quality, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And then after that, I did a pricing survey. And we can get into, into that to talk about more that. either now or, or later. But at the end of it, I pretty much knew exactly what I had to build, exactly what I could charge for it mm-hmm. um, before I had to had to do any coding. And I, I started coding after I did the feature surveys because um, I could take it to alpha while I was still figuring out what my market looked like. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I knew exactly what to build before I wrote this, the first line of code, before the GitHub repo, mm-hmm. before the prototype. It was yeah. like, I know what I need to make. Totally. So it's just you right now, right? Yeah, yeah. It's just me. I'm the only full-time. I'm the founder, CEO, CTO. I joke that my cat is my VP of marketing because I'll just post cat pics. Nice. Otherwise, I have hired people. I've hired freelancers mm-hmm. to do stuff for me. And then I also have a, a weekly group of other bootstrappers or at least you know small team founder mm-hmm. types. And uh, they serve as, uh, as advisors. It's great for accountability, which you don't get when you don't have a partner. Mm-hmm. Um, so I tell them, all right, by next week, I'm going to do this stuff. Mm-hmm. And that means that I can't just sit on the couch and eat ice cream because then when I have that meeting, it's going to be like, all right, hey, Nick, did you do that thing that you said you'd do? You mm-hmm. know? Or what my MRR goals are or, yep. or whatever it is. And then, you know, 
you help everybody else out with their problems too. You bounce ideas off each other. It's it's really useful to have somebody to talk to. Totally. I, I don't know why, but that accountability thing has never worked for me. I've been in like a couple masterminds or, or had that sort of like accountability idea and it has never been that effective for me over the long term. I don't know why. Did you commit to short-term goals? I would. And sometimes like some weeks it'd be like, yeah, I thought I was going to get to that, but I couldn't because of X, Y, Z. And everyone's like, okay. And I don't know. I don't feel as maybe I just didn't naturally feel a sense of accountability, maybe because no one was like mean enough when I missed the goals or something. <laughs> I don't know what the missing ingredient was. Uh, for me, it's it's really more of a feeling of guilt. You know, <laughs> yeah. like if I don't finish it by Friday, it means that I failed, hmm. you know, that I wasn't able to. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. One, one other uh, aspect of the product that I want to talk about is that there's not a damn thing to install. It's a browser. Well, as long as you're, yeah, yeah, yeah. Until you need to screen share. Sure. Assuming you don't need screen share. You yeah, just and you know what? The some... screen sharing... Sorry to interrupt you there. Sorry. The screen sharing is really funny because people are like, oh man, I wish you didn't have to install this thing for screen sharing. And I, and I say like, yeah, me too. Do you know what the Firefox screen sharing extension is? It's 22 lines of JavaScript that have an uninstall add meet space to the whitelist. And mm. on uninstall, remove meet space from the whitelist. That's huh. literally all the extension does. And in Chrome, it's a little bit more complicated because it's a security thing. Uh-huh. The extension has the permission to capture your screen mm-hmm. um, because it's like installed. It has elevated permissions, but the browser does not. Hmm. And it's, it's simply security. That's all it is. So if Chrome and, and Firefox, if they move forward with more security provisions for that sort of thing, mm-hmm. I'll be able to remove them and I would love to remove them. And I'd be happy to show anybody the source code if they're worried. But mainly it's really just, it's just annoying. So yeah. I try to make it a real quick install when you want to share your screen and receivers don't have to install it. It's just yep. people who share. That's but cool. otherwise, yeah, it's it's totally browser. I, I mean, it I doesn't require login. Link. Yeah, I send a link and you just start it up and boom. Yeah, yeah, we just we just hit the link and it's insanely fast. It is it's like true. you load it up and you click around. It's insanely fast. Why is it so, so fast? It's fast because it's in Go. <laughs> Say more yeah. about that. So uh, I started w- working with Go last year. I was doing some stuff with Docker over at Codeship, mm-hmm. and I really liked Go. And I think it was because before that I was uh, a Ruby person. I started on um, Rails like one nine mm-hmm. or. Actually, it was like right into the Rails 2 beta. Okay. So I've been doing Ruby and Rails for, for a long time. And near the end, I was starting to get that uncomfortable feeling with the amount of dependencies and just general globbing together a lot of stuff and, and being a gluer instead of building things the way that you think that they should be built. And so there was this drive towards simplicity, towards implementing patterns instead of customizing frameworks. Mm. And when I started working with Go, it just really felt like they had that mindset from the creation of the language that that's how it was going to be. Hmm. So when it came to new meet space, I was really on the fence. I was like, do I want to do this in Go? I haven't done a full web app in Go before. I have the experience. I know I can make a web app with just about anything, but is it going to be a huge pain in the butt? I don't know. On the other hand, there was Rails. It was familiar. I could move fast. I could not worry about the tech. The thing that I was worried about was the real-time communications and the WebSockets. Mm-hmm. And real-time, like, sure, if you want to push notifications through a WebSocket, it can take a little bit. In MeetSpace, the space bar is the mute button. That has to be, like, so, so, so fast. I wanted it to feel, like, video game fast. It was actually, mm-hmm. I was inspired by video games to make the controls in MeetSpace really down to the millisecond response. Like, mm-hmm. when you depress the spacebar key it lights up and shows you as muted because and that's because it happened you know Mm -hmm. so i i decided to go with go because i knew i could have really fast real-time communications 
that would match the speed of the peer-to-peer WebRTC part of it. Hmm. And there's also you you do you just you just kind of mentioned it, but the the connection between two people in a meet space room is peer-to-peer, right? There's not a server involved. That's right. Yeah. So there are two servers involved, mm-hmm. right? They're involved, but they're not committed. So um, there's the MeetSpace server, which loads the web page up for you. It also does the WebSocket connection, and that'll do like the handshake. That'll introduce two people that are going to be in a meeting. Mm-hmm. That lets them know what their IP is and um, what codecs they can support, um, that sort of thing. And then there's another server involved that has two protocols, Stun and Turn. Stun lets you punch a firewall. And uh, so it's a remote third-party server that two people can go reach out to to punch out through the firewall, and Mm. then they can settle into a peer-to-peer connection. Hmm. Turn is the last resort. Turn is a proxy. So when you're on a really tough corporate firewall, I have to proxy your traffic through the turn server. Hmm. Are those standard terms, stun and turn? Yes. Yeah, they're very standard. And it's an open source project that I use called CoTurn, and you can even pay for it. Like Twilio has stun and turn servers as a as a service huh. if you wanted to go that route as well. Yeah. And Google actually runs a public stun server. So if you're playing with WebRTC, you don't even have to set one up. You can just point it at Google because stun's really easy to just do a little negotiation like that. Mm-hmm. So it's just sort of like, hey, you know, Ben, meet Nick, Nick, meet Ben. Okay, have a meeting. Bye. Mm-hmm. You know. So once that's all once that's all negotiated, the data is peer to peer, which means I can actually go like MeetSpace can go down while you're in a meeting, mm-hmm. and if somebody joins, they're not actually going to join up and because they can't be introduced until MeetSpace is back up. But everybody's that that's in that meeting, uh, they can just keep going, even if I go down for for a minute or two or something like that. Mm-hmm. Is it fair to say you've been happy with your choice of Go for this? Yeah, I would say I'm eighty percent happy. Hmm. That eighty percent is the amazing performance I've been able to get. I enjoy the simplicity of the code. I have three dependencies. One of them is Google's own WebSocket library for Go. The other is the Postgres driver. And then the third one is a WebRTC adapter for compatibility. I don't have any other dependencies, and those dependencies do not have any dependencies. Hmm. Like, everything's checked in to the repo. It's all vendored. I know exactly what all my code is. It's very simple. You can find what you need to fix anywhere. Um, and that's wonderful. The 20% that I'm not happy with is that coming from Rails, there are a lot of things I had to do by hand. Hmm. So the first time I had to write, you know, like user sessions, I sort of had to go back and refresh myself on how to how to do a secure cookie, mm-hmm. how to encrypt a password, right? Or uh, hash a password. Mm-hmm. So there's a bunch of stuff like that where with Rails is just like click, click, okay, I'm done. Or like, you know, time ago in words, yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> right. It's like, okay, better bust out a giant switch statement, right? right? So there's a lot of things that took longer than I wish that they would have. But at the end of it, the interesting thing is that if you write your own time ago in words, it's exactly how you wanted it to be. Mm -hmm. And it's not going to change. So you're not going to get updates. But it made me think about, okay, I'm not just going to write this feature the way, the the Rails way, right? I'm going to make this feature the way that's exactly the way I want my users to have it. It's going to work just the right way for them. And it's going to be more work for me, but I'm going to nail it. Hmm. You know, the other thing that happens sometimes is I'm just too lazy and too tired to do the effort to implement a feature that probably should exist, but it's just such a pain in the butt sometimes, or it's not even a pain in the butt. I'll settle down and I'll I'll write the feature. It'll take eight hours, but Hmm. it would have taken two in rails. And then I'm like, I feel bad, even Hmm. though it's a day it went by. I wrote a feature. It was worth it for sure. Hmm. 
but uh, it can feel bad when uh, it doesn't take as quickly as it could have if you had made a different decision in the past, you know? Mm-hmm. Sort of a, like, a, like a coder's remorse, if you will. Totally. I know, I'd, I'd say 80% happy with a technology choice is, uh, is happy. Yeah, we'll see where I am uh, a little farther down the road. Maybe, maybe my unhappiness will grow as I have more and more to maintain. Yeah, um, right be. now, it's a pretty small light app. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Using Stripe for subscription stuff? Yeah, Stripe's awesome. Mm-hmm. I'm not using a library for it either. I'm just posting to their HTTP endpoints. There's only a couple, and they're very fast. Mm-hmm. So I have my own little one method that makes Stripe requests. Yep. Did you um, use their subscription stuff, or are you manually handling charging? I'm using their subscriptions, and I'm using their trial feature, which is really mm-hmm. nice, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I use um, that as so well. So I can just say, subscribe this person on a two-week trial. They don't have to have a, provide a card because they're on the, on the trial. Um, and then at the end of the trial, I'm not using their webhooks yet to deactivate people. I'm using my own timestamp internally that matches what's on Stripe. But it's, it's so simple that it, it's not a big deal. Hmm. So you can create a Stripe subscription without a card? I thought you couldn't do that. If you create it with a trial date. Hmm. Interesting. That simplifies a thing I was thinking about doing. So it, that's good to know. Yeah. 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 I really, I'm one of those people that loves to dig through the APIs like ridiculously. Uh-huh. I, I remember it was like, oh, maybe like four or five years ago. There was one day where I literally sat down and I read all of Postgres's API docs. Hmm. I just like a book. I just read it like a book and I found a whole bunch of features I didn't know existed, hmm. you know? And since then I was like, I need to really read through all this stuff because yeah. you'll find little things like that where you're like, oh, wait, now I don't have to implement trial logic at all. And when they activate, I just switch off the trial. And look, they have a special thing called now, which immediately disables the trial. And I can do that if I add a card first. So I add a card, I switch the trial ending date to now. So there's no weird timing issue and mm-hmm. boom, charges. Hmm. Turns out RTFM is good advice. Yeah, right. Yeah, I, I find reading API docs to be nearly as valuable as reading programming books. Mm. You can you can know an amazing design pattern for implementing trial logic, but if you read the <laughs> API docs and you don't have to, that's better. Yep. You know? That's interesting. So I'm very proud of how much code I haven't written mm-hmm. for MeetSpace. Totally. A former coworker who you might know, um, Harold Jimenez, he made a he was a former Thoughtbotter and he wrote a web app that would show you at random a page from the Postgres docs. Nice. So he, he would like, I guess just once a day, like refresh that and then like read a little bit of the Postgres docs. And that was like his daily uh, ablution. And he now heads the Postgres team at Heroku. Awesome. So he's yeah, in charge yeah. of like a million Postgres instances or probably more. Yeah, there's some amazing stuff in there. Mm-hmm. They can do, um, so like the way that I check like I use the PG crypto module to do passwords mm-hmm. because they literally have a password setting hmm. and it hashes for passwords. Hmm. And now if there's a problem with it, I blame the Postgres password team, right? <laughs> it's not like, oh, he's hacked because moron founder wrote his own crypto, you know? <laughs> so that won't happen. And Postgres also has HMAC, um, signature verification. So hmm. my signed cookies, hmm. they don't even get processed by the Go code, even though Go has HMAC as well. What I pretty much do is I say, find a user with this ID and this valid signature mm-hmm. on their ID, given these this key. And that will just either retrieve a user or not. So someone with a with a forged cookie just looks like someone who's not logged into me. Hmm. And it's and I did it with the database because they just I mean I have to query it anyways. So I, I hope everyone was like paying attention because I think there's like some serious <laughs> battle tested programmer wisdom in that little bit right there. 
Like being proud of how little code you've written and being able to do that because of how much time you spent reading the docs. I think that's really important. Yep. And HMAC is one of my favorite things that I learned in the past uh, year or so. Mm. Mm-hmm. I, I love it now. It's like API keys in terms of being able to say, oh, I, I can do that, except it's also a signature. So you're using like a private API key to sign your message. Mm-hmm. And that way you can tell that not only can I do this, but also I've signed this action specifically. So if someone intercepts that, they can only say that same thing again. They can't say something else, mm. right? So it's a really awesome way to deterministically verify data without having to exchange anything more than a private key. Mm. So like two web services can share a private key and then users can take something that was signed by those servers and exchange it with those two servers and they can verify what you said. And it's very simple. It's in every language and Postgres, you know, and it was just one of those little gems that you find and you're like, wow, I can apply this in so many places. This is better than API keys. I can use it for, you know, like a verified unsubscribe link. I can use it for quick login URLs mm. without having to do tokens that I rotate and, uh, and cookies. So it's become very useful for me. Nice. That's awesome. Finding those high leverage concepts or tools is so satisfying. Yeah. So I do want to talk about your pricing survey. Yeah, yeah. And how you came upon the pricing for the service. Yeah, well, once again, my friend Patrick, CEO of Price Intelligently, Mm -hmm. um, helped me out here a bunch as well. Just pointing me in the right direction, showing them the resources that are on their blog, Mm -hmm. um, reading through it. And it turns out one of the most reliable and currently used ways of pricing a product is called the Van Westendorp Price Sensitivity Survey. Mm -hmm. Um, It's from 1980-something. It's old school. Mm -hmm. This is pre-SAS, you know? And it hinges around four really simple questions. Mm -hmm. You ask somebody, how much is too expensive for this product? Like, there's just no way you're going to pay. So you describe a product first, it seems like, right? Yes, sorry, sorry. Yeah, the the best thing to do there is to describe the product, but not point to it specifically. Mm -hmm. So I didn't say, given that you're talking about Meatspace, I said, given you have a video conferencing product that delivers you high quality audio with less disconnects, you know, really reliable, super smooth, you like it a lot, like your your dream product. Mm -hmm. And in that situation, it's kind of like writing fiction where the best fiction writers will not explicitly describe something in detail. They'll kind of describe it vaguely and then let your imagine take it and shape it because then it fits exactly what you think. So I was pretty much saying, imagine an amazing video conferencing service Mm -hmm. that you like a lot. You know, Mm -hmm. how much would you pay for that? Because I have to build that. If I can't build something that you like a lot, I don't have a product. So I might as well assume that I can build something amazing, Mm -hmm. you know? So yeah, describe the product. And then you ask these four questions. The first one being, you know, how much is too expensive? Just go ahead and say, this much would be too much for me, right? Mm -hmm. And then you ask, okay, well, how much is too cheap? And at first I was like, too too cheap? Like, well, I mean, free? No, wait, actually, you pay me. That would be too cheap. No, Mm -hmm. actually, I'm okay with that as well, you know? Mm. But the example that I I read that was really good is um, if you're going to bring home a pizza to your family, Mm -hmm. would you bring home a $1 large pepperoni pizza? Mm. Or are you going to be suspicious? Are you going to question the quality of that pizza? Is that real cheese or is that some sort of like sawdust xanthan gum type substance? You know, uh-huh. so there is a price where you're like, this must suck if it's this cheap. Right. You know, so you ask that. 
then you ask two more questions that are still sort of in the middle. The next one is, at what price is it getting expensive, but you'd still consider it? Mm-hmm. And that's like, okay, it's really good. That's kind of a lot. Oh, but if it was really good, okay, that would be worth it, mm-hmm. right? That, that uncomfortable expensive. And then you go and you ask the opposite of that, which is, at what price would this product be a great value? Mm-hmm. And that's the one where you're like, oh, man, this is a deal. This is a no-brainer. I, I got to go for this, right? What those questions will give you is a chart where you can tell at any given price point how many people fall uh, within those questions. Mm-hmm. So the one that you generally use for your boundaries are the too expensive and too cheap. Because you want to say how many people surveyed, like what percentage? Let's say 85% of people thought that 50 bucks a month was not too cheap and not too expensive. Okay, they're inside my boundaries, mm-hmm. right? So I know 85% of people would be satisfied. So at that point, you want to maximize the number of people that would be satisfied by a given price. You also have the getting expensive and the great value, and that's called the indifference price point, where if you're right in the middle of those, in addition to being in the middle of your outer bounds, if you're inside the bounds of these great value getting expensive, you're at the point where someone's just like, no, that price is fine. It doesn't feel too much to them. It doesn't feel too cheap. It just feels fine. It feels normal. Mm Mm-hmm. And so those two points, you always have a few people who are, uh, it'll be a less, a lower percentage who's in the indifference zone versus that, I don't know, acceptance zone, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, But it pretty much tells you what to charge. And if your bounds are really wide, then you know you have a big range. And if they're very narrow, you know that you don't have much wiggle room at all. Mm. So I I ran this survey. And then I had to write my own Google Sheets computation for it because I could not find on the entire internet like Van Westendorp analysis with Google Sheets. Hmm. So I did it myself, and I also promised to write a blog post about it, which I did. Uh, And there's a live blog post. It even uses a live Google form, so you can tell me how much you would pay for a bagel, and it will show you in real time the pricing data coming from everyone who reads the post and submits. So you can check that out. I guess we'll put it in the show notes. Yep, totally. Cool. So I computed all this, and it was incredibly precise. I Hmm. had no wiggle room. Like, my range... Um, in terms of the maximum number of people for the acceptance zone, it became fairly steep within 10 cents a month. Hmm. My indifference price point was almost exactly on top of it. Like people pretty much told me that it was $5 a user. Mm-hmm. And, and that, w- that was it. Everybody was just like, it just zeroed right in on it. And so that was great. It was just like the feature stuff. Yeah. It was just, it's You're just cheating. cheating. That's not fair, cheating. Nick. You have to, you no, have to do more blind guessing. Not. No, I, I talked to people who are pricing stuff and, they're, and I asked like, how much are you going to charge for this? Oh, I don't know. I mean, I guess I was thinking like 150. Mm-hmm. Does that seem weird? And I'm like, well, it seems like a number, you know, <laughs> but you don't know. I mean, why, why guess? You know, yeah. why guess? The survey takes you 15 minutes to write. Depending on your, your network, depending on the emails that you've captured from your landing page, whatever, uh, it could be difficult to circulate it. Mm-hmm. But if you have a good group of people, you can get by with 50. Mm-hmm. You know, you can probably even squeak by with 30 people mm-hmm. if they give you uh, good data, if they don't screw around with your form. And then, yeah, at the end of it, I was like, I know exactly what I can charge. Mm-hmm. And it was a little more than I thought I might be able to charge, which mm-hmm. was nice too. Beautiful. I, I was going to leave money on the table. I really was. Mm-hmm. And that, that just made it so easy. Yeah. You know? So you do charge $5 per month per user, but you have tiers as well, right? Yes. So how did you decide yeah. on the tiers? Because that feels like another, that feels a little bit like a jump. So that one, yeah. I wouldn't say it was arbitrary, but it was things that I picked without a scientific 
method or a very scientific method. Yep. What I did was I looked at all of my teams throughout the beta through the summer. Mm-hmm. And I just looked at how big they are. Mm-hmm. And I looked at how much people would pay, what the error margins were around each of the plans. So what I mean by that is if you don't have as many people as the plan can handle, how much extra are you paying per user? You know, mm. And I try to just minimize that. And I also tried to have the plans meet what are very common team sizes. Mm. And I also made the first jump because it always sucks when you go from the six person, then you add the seventh person and mm. all of a sudden you're on the, you're on the 12 person plan. You yeah. know? I made that first jump a pretty significant discount. Mm. So when you fill the 12 person plan, you're paying less per user than when you had filled the small plan. Mm-hmm. So there was sort of a nice little cushion as you grow. Mm-hmm. And then as a backdrop, there's always the enterprise plan, which is annual, but at $4 per user per month. So if mm. anybody has a pricing objection, it's kind of like, you know, I can always do a custom plan for you and you can add or remove people and there'll be a, a credit or a debit based on the proration of it, mm-hmm. but you'd have to pay in advance. Mm-hmm. So anybody who's, you know, the monthly they're kind of hemming and hawing about, they can they can always go and, and pretty much get the, the bundle mm-hmm. and even save even more. And it's really not a not an issue. Cool. How did you find those initial people in your beta group? Uh, <laughs> I was that annoying person on Twitter who was just talking about my app all day, multiple times a day. Mm-hmm. That was the first part. Yep. After that... Um, you mean marketing? I did some, yeah. <laughs> social, social media marketing, yep. except it was my Twitter avatar. Uh-huh. You know? Yep. Because I, I really just leveraged my personal network. And I was really fortunate to have people who were receptive to that, who Mm -hmm. find starting and bootstrapping a company really awesome and want to be supportive. And I'm so thankful Mm. that that I have followers like that. I'm also really thankful to know some people on Twitter who have a lot more followers than me Mm. who could amplify. And I was not above begging for it. Mm. So Mm -hmm. I would DM them and I would say, if you're comfortable, I could really use your support. Right now, I just need more of a network. The kinds of people that follow you are the kinds of people that I think will love Meetspace, you know? Mm-hmm. And I just would reach out to people and say, hey, do you mind, could you retweet this announcement, you know? And I did some content marketing too. I wrote blog posts along the way of a lot of the things that I thought were the interesting technical challenges and solutions mm-hmm. and thorough walkthroughs of how all of that worked. And also had an email capture on those pages. I was able to get into Ruby Weekly, uh, or no, sorry, not Ruby Weekly for Meetspace, Go Weekly. And uh, Postgres Weekly, mm-hmm. uh, which are both great newsletters, mm-hmm. um, and get in there with natural content, not not with a sponsored advertisement. So I really feel like you're going to read this post, you're going to really get something from it. And by the way, if you just had a horrible stand up an hour ago, maybe you can try Meetspace. Mm-hmm. You know, do you have a sense of what has been the most effective of those channels? Uh, the content marketing is not very effective mm-hmm. right now. I, I would say the primary cause of that is that I am not obnoxious enough with my call to action. Hmm. Because as a developer, I really just throw up in my mouth a little bit. Yeah. It's a lot of creating a, a sign-up modal. You know, I'm not going to do a modal. Right. And even now, Google's going to start punishing modals. So it's it's not where you want to be. But they, they work. They're just, they're so annoying. I can't do it. I, was, I can't. I was just thinking about that today. It's like, I, I'm yeah. sure when you test it, you're like, oh, this this gets us, like, we're li- we know we're leaving money on the table by not having this. But it sucks. Yeah. It just feels like you're selling your soul one click at a time. Yeah. And uh, so I didn't do that. And I didn't get the signups from that. Mm -hmm. Um, But Twitter was better. Um, Mm -hmm. Twitter was a lot better. And so what I'm looking forward in the future on are two things for marketing. 
Um, the first one is I want to do a promoter or like referral program mm -hmm. where users of Meetspace can post about Meetspace and then maybe get something in return, either something fun in the app, like custom backgrounds or themes or something, right? Mm -hmm. um, or maybe, maybe a small discount where every month, if you help me promote, then I'll give you a discount because it's it's worth it for me. And uh, that one I still feel kind of weird about because I feel like I'm compensating people to promote me. And that feels like it's not properly solicited, right? Like mm. there's a conflict of interest. Mm. So I'm trying to find something that feels right for that. Um, and I haven't settled on it yet. So I don't know exactly what I'm going to do. Do you think you'll write your own referral program code? For I have that? no idea. Yeah, okay. yeah, I have no idea. Um, the one thing I might write my own code for as part of that is that one thing I thought would be really cool is for people to be able to take meet space team selfies, because mm. when you're on a remote team, you can't take a group picture, mm. right? Mm -hmm. But if you're in meet space and you can click a button in meet space that takes a little selfie for you and watermarks it and shares it, helps you share it to Twitter, mm. that that could be really fun mm. and, and be good promotion for me. It's fun for you. It helps with your distributed team. And that was my goal all along was to help with distributed teams, uh, empathy, especially in meetings. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, I think that'll be interesting. And then the second thing that I'm I'm already working on it now, but it's still really trialing it, is Facebook ads. Mm -hmm. Because I talk to paid search people. I talk to content marketing uh, and online digital marketing folks. And everybody's like, if you can do content marketing with Facebook ad promotion, you will get a ton of bang for your buck. Hmm. It's a lot of it's a lot of sweat. But when you're bootstrapping, like you have too much sweat and not enough money, right. you know? So content marketing and Facebook advertising, I'm running a campaign right now where there are 5,000 people on Facebook who like Go and Postgres, mm. um, at least in the US, mm -hmm. you know, or they've told Facebook that they like those things. And I'm showing them a post about using Postgres in Go without an ORM. And it's, a, it's legit content. It's not an ad. It's not a promo for a product. It's like, I think you're going to like this blog post, you know? So that way I feel a lot less scummy buying ads because mm -hmm. I'm literally just putting something in front of someone that I think that they're going to like. And if they're there and they just had a crappy stand up an hour ago, Hey, what do you know? Uh, they can try a video conferencing product built by a guy who's smart, yeah. you know? So we'll see how that goes. But from what I hear, there's a lot to learn to do it right. And I am learning that, but uh, it should really pay off. Awesome. Um, so are you comfortable sharing number of customers or MRR, MRR at this point? <laughs> I guess so. Okay. I mean, so we launched... I guess we're almost almost coming up at one month launch. Since, since your public launch? That's, well, since the paid launch. Okay. Uh, it's been open beta for a few months. Mm -hmm. And so at this point, there's around like a dozen paying teams. Mm -hmm. And that translates to more than 100 people who mm -hmm. are part of a, a paid team. So, awesome. you know, derive my MRR from that. Yep. Got <laughs> Look it. at my plans. The, the really nice thing is that one of my most dedicated customers through the beta is on an enterprise plan. Mm. And that was really great to be able to have some cash that's liquid to be able to um, reinvest. Right. Is that cash going to Facebook ads slash freelancer help? Uh, yep. And also uh, networking. Uh, I bought a conference ticket. Gotcha. Yep. And, and that's partially because the conference is put on by Price Intelligently and I feel indebted to them, but also uh, because yeah. I'm very excited to go to it. It's SAS Fest uh, uh -huh. coming up here in Boston in December. Yep. Um, but that, that should just be great. Not just great networking for me, but I think also a lot of great learning for the areas that I'm not an expert in because I've been doing development and now all of a sudden I have to know how to do marketing. Totally. You know? Cool. Uh, and then the last, last bit is uh, who are your best customers? Who loves it? So the people that love it, are the ones that meet and, and video conference a lot. 
And because of my network, they also happen to be a lot of developers because mm-hmm. that's who, who knows me. And also it really like the, the majority of the people that are here that love it are uh, software consultancies. They have this sort of trifecta of developers who demand a better tool, Yes, um, who are frustrated, who want something that works, who are the kinds of people that tweet it's 2016 and video conferencing is still broken, right? right? right. They want something and they love to try new stuff. They love to find something better and they love to be the person who comes to the team and says, look at this thing that I found that's going to make all of our lives better, right? Mm. I think everybody kind of loves that, but developers really like to bring home a win for their team, you mm-hmm. know? Consultancies also happen to have more remote people. I think consulting and freelancing is the sort of thing that's more remote friendly versus mm-hmm. product teams. Mm-hmm. And so they have people all around the world. So that's definitely a big match with my market. And then the last one is they present to their clients. So they mm. want to be able to screen share with just a link and no install and have it be reliable. Totally. So they can link a client. All right, let me show you what we worked on this week. You know, here's share my screen, check it out. This looks great. Client just hits the link. It works, mm-hmm. you know. So that trifecta really matched up well. Yeah. And and, and it's no, uh, they also make money. They <laughs> right. have money to spend totally. on good stuff and they want to look good to their clients. Yep. Whereas like a smaller product team, uh, they might really be looking at their burn rate hmm. and, and be worried about it. Uh, but if you're profiting just fine, you understand that these tools, if they go to help your developers be more empathetic to people that are remote, if it helps build a better relationship with your client, that that's all well worth it. Hmm. I have a H1 title tag or a, you know page header idea for you. Yep. It's 2016 and video conferencing is still broken, except cross have a cross out on the still and then like no longer. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I'm trying to figure it. I, I haven't got to my landing pages yet. Like mm. I need to build those. And that's something that I want to learn more about. Yeah. And I know one of the big effective ways to do landing pages is to do them in the second person. So saying it like instead of it's 2016 and video conferencing is still broken. It's 10 a.m. and you still can't get everybody into your standup. Mm. Mm-hmm. You know, um, something like that. Yeah. Right. Like you've been, you've used Hangouts, you've tried peer in, lit your computer on fire. You use Skype, but you can't stand clicking add person, add person, add person, add person every single day, mm-hmm. you know, and you're trying to find something else mm-hmm. and here's Meetspace. Yeah, I like right. it. So second person seems to be very effective there, but got to learn that. Totally. <laughs> yep. Well, I think that's a really good place to stop. But one thing I want to mention before we go is just that I have been using Meetspace as a user and liking it. Uh, I actually just invited our my first like fellow team member on. It's been working well for both of us. And also, we have been using Meetspace this whole time for this call. So, surprise! Surprise! So <laughs> if you thought the audio quality was good, uh, and I can tell you the video quality has been good the whole time, it's because Nick has done a good job and yep. Go is fast. Yeah. So we're uh, Ben, you're recording on your side. So yeah. everything that I say is coming through my microphone, going through Meetspace to Ben, and then being recorded on his side. So... We didn't have any drops. We didn't have any stutter. Mm -hmm. um, And hopefully I sound crystal clear. You do. And the latency feels low. It feels like we're having a natural conversation. I can interrupt you kind of mid-word and you catch that. Yeah, yeah. I was I was checking the stats during the call, and the latency between us was uh, right or like just just a tad over a hundred milliseconds. Nice. So we were our ping our our round trip was uh, was right about 110, 120 milliseconds. So that's that's. uh, I can't see that in my UI, right? No, 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 no. I have I have centralized logging. All the logs in the client, all the logs in JavaScript and everything get shipped to me. So uh-huh. when somebody has trouble on a meeting, I can come back and I can say, oh, mm. you know, I checked it out and uh, Ben had a lot of packet loss. Mm. 
And then you know what happens? They come back and they're like, yeah, so Ben was at a cafe. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Running like, a microwave. Know, why don't you, uh, why don't you use your home internet yeah. next time for That's your team? Call, uh, you know? If you're, um, client base if your your best customers right now are developer techie types it'd be cool to have like a diagnostic show me what's going on little panel in there oh absolutely i'm really looking forward to that because what i can do is so every edge has diagnostics mm-hmm. so between you and me and me and somebody else on the call and me and somebody else on the call but mm-hmm. it's also bi-directional i have my stats on you you have your stats on me mm. So I'm figuring out a way so I can say, okay, here's my perspective on Ben, mm-hmm. but also here's everybody's perspective on Ben that we've shared with each other, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So you can get a little, like, I have the data. I just have to figure out how to how to show it, how to communicate it, yeah. to be able to say something like, everyone thinks that Ben sucks. Yeah. You know? well, sorry. <laughs> Title. Everyone thinks that Ben's internet sucks. Yeah. Um, and then that lets you know, oh, wow, okay, I have an internet problem. It's me. Yeah, totally. You know? I love it. And- I'm going to go get my Ethernet cable. Hold on. Such a good idea because I feel like one of the things that kills me is when things, or just people in general, when things don't work and you have no visibility into why, it's like 10 times as frustrating. Yep. And the other thing that I do with this stuff is um, right now I do some basic alerting, um, Mm -hmm. mostly around errors, Mm -hmm. but I'd like to start having quality-based alerting. Mm -hmm. Um, And one of the things I just added recently is a little chat bubble in the Meetspace room. And... We were talking a little bit before the show about whether or not it's super annoying. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, one of the things that I'm able to do is when someone's having a problem with a meeting, I can pop in and say, hey, um, just popping in here. It's Nick. Uh, looks like Ben's version of Chrome is a little too old. That's mm. why you're having trouble. Mm-hmm. You know, Being able to do that with quality and then being able to do it in an automated way, a little pop-up says, hey, everyone's having trouble connecting to Ben. Uh, might want to check your internet connection there. Yeah, totally. You know, like AI chatbot diagnostics. Yeah, I love sweet. it. There you go. That's your, that's the marketing version of that AI chatbot diagnostics. Yep. Yeah, Perfect. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. Yeah. So let's wrap it up there. Uh, but before we do, if you are interested in, in giving Meetspace a try, and you should be, we do have a special offer code, which is giantrobots30 for 30% off your first month. Uh, and that's just meetspaceapp.com. Is that right? Yep, that's right. And that meet, that meet is M-E-E-T. Yes. Yeah. Yep. You'll be explaining that for the rest of your life, by the way. Yeah, yeah, probably. But that's the joke. That's the pun it's, it's behind the, the joke. name. Yeah, so, yep, totally. You know what? That's a great icebreaker for when I talk to people. Yeah, no, I you like know? It. I dig it. Plus, I also, at the very beginning, I used the uh, emoji for meat and then the, the dizzy stars emoji for uh-huh. meat and space. Uh-huh. And that was my little code uh, name for the project. Nice. But, yeah. Awesome. So we're going to be talking some more. This was kind of the getting to know Nick and meat space episode. But uh, I'd like to keep hearing what you're doing. So next week, let's chat about what your week held and I'll chat about what my week held and we'll share with the world. Yeah, sounds great. Awesome. Well, thanks for being on. Yeah, thank you. Today's show was produced and edited by the Tom Before the Storm Obarski. If you'd like to access the show notes for this episode, you can go to giantrobots.fm slash 214. Thanks for listening. 